Let's turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 has a built-in introduction to it, so that's what we're doing this evening. The Lord is going to bring to Daniel even more prophetic revelation about the future. And whereas he was speaking primarily in the first two uh, uh, visions that he received in chapter 7 and 8, that had to focus our attention on, on the world powers that are eventually also going to be uh, active in the end time. Because anything that we see in Scripture early on, we will see later on. And when we do a, a full panoramic view of prophecy from Genesis to Revelation, even from Genesis, we will see things that will, that, that, that will point us to the end of the age. So, this was God's intention for us. That everything that has happened in the world from the very beginning, He's showing us that He has known the beginning from the end, and He's given us all of these various things to look at and to search out, to see, first of all, that they're true, to see that they, of course, come from Him. Because if He has said they're going to happen, then they're going to happen. The fact of the matter is... Practically, uh, for us, practically everything that he has said, because there's still some things yet to be fulfilled, but everything that he has said that has to have been fulfilled up to this point has been. Uh, There hasn't been one that has missed. So as we get into chapter 9, after the two visions that Daniel received, he was left faint and sick even. And so when you enter into chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. We're going to talk about Darius. We've already done it before because he was a prominent king uh, in in Daniel's time. As a matter of fact, the one that... um, had, was forced to have to put him into the lion's den, as it were. But we talked about him being actually uh, having a different name and Darius being pretty much a title. So we'll keep that in mind. But in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, which the Chaldeans being, of course, the Babylonians. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. (laughs) And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The contents of Daniel chapter 9 have been called the greatest prophecies of all time. It not only tells us the exact date that Jesus Christ would ride into Jerusalem 
on a donkey and be proclaimed as Messiah. But Daniel would also tell us of the events leading up to the second coming of Christ. And I would venture to say that you probably can't wait, you know, to dig into these verses and pull out those wonderful scriptures that the Lord has given us. But the only problem is that we would have to skip over the first 19 verses that precede this prophecy. But you see, 17 of the 27 verses of this great chapter deal with the prayer of Daniel. And it is only after Daniel came before the Lord and recognized not only the sinfulness of Israel, but the sin of his own life, and brought these things before the Lord, that the Lord revealed to Daniel what the future would be like, not only for the Jewish people, but also for the city of Jerusalem itself. And, and I want to interject here how often we have to speak of Jerusalem when we speak of end-time prophecy. And I want to remind you, we don't speak about Rome, and we don't speak about London, or we don't speak about Washington, or any other place. We are speaking about the very epicenter of all prophetic events. And that's Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. If we simply broke chapter 9 down into, into sections, it would actually be two sections. Prayer and prophecy. Very simple. But let us never forget that they should always go hand in hand. Prayer and prophecy should always go hand in hand. The type of prayer that Daniel prays is what we call intercessory prayer. Now, to intercede, just so that you'll know, because there are many different types of prayers in the Scriptures, and we should pray them all, or at least understand what they all are, so that we know that when we ask God for certain things... We know what kind of prayers we're asking. But to intercede, intercession, to intercede is to prayerfully intervene on behalf of another person or other people. In this case, for a whole nation. That is what Daniel is doing. He is interceding for a whole nation. By the way, if you want to read two other great chapters that contain intercessory prayers, I would urge you to read Ezra chapter 9. And Nehemiah chapter 9. Now isn't it interesting? Daniel 9, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9. And they're both, in, and, and they're all three intercessory prayers um, about uh, the people of Israel. So, when it comes to the issue of prayer, it would be wise for us to remember that praying is lifting up. Praying simply is lifting up a reverent petition to a God that is totally and completely capable of hearing our petitions, first first and foremost. Able to hear our petitions, able to hear our supplications, able to hear our requests, and acting upon them according to His will and purposes. Did you get that? Because I don't want you to miss that about prayer. Prayer is lifting up a reverent petition to a God that is totally and completely capable of hearing our petitions. By the way, there's only one, one God, that is able to do that. A God that is totally, uh, completely capable of hearing our petitions, supplications, and requests, and acting upon them according to His will and purposes. And let us not forget that prayer is not only about asking the Lord and appealing for things, it is also the platform 
Prayer is the platform for our praise. It is a platform for our adoration and a platform for our worship and confession toward the only God that is worthy of our worship. The only God worthy of our worship. And so we as believers in Jesus Christ do not speak our prayers to an inanimate object. What did the enemy do to Israel early, even early on as a people when they were lifted up as a people unto the Lord and God had commanded them that he was the only God to worship, he was the only God to serve and to beware of not serving any other God or worshiping any other God. What did they do? Practically immediately they went to worship other gods. Gods that, that it may have eyes but couldn't see. They could have had ears, but they didn't hear. They might have had mouths, but they couldn't speak. Now, isn't that just ridiculous when you think about it? Yet it tells us a lot about the human and the flesh and how strong the enemy is to tempt us away from the things that God would have us to do that are to our benefit. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not speak our prayers to inanimate objects, but to the true and living God who not only loves us, but hears our heart's cries. He's never too busy, and he's never too tired to listen to us. Remember now, these are some some scriptures I want to give you as we prepare to get into Daniel's prayer, but... Think about this. This is what John tells us in 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now notice what it says. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And, verse 15, if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And the, and the Lord certainly wants us to pray because He wants to bless His people. Actually, He really does want to bless us abundantly. Each and every one of us who loves Him. And He wants our joy to be full. This is what Jesus Himself said in John sixteen twenty four when He said, Hitherto have you asked nothing in My name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. That you may be full of joy in knowing that whatever you ask of the Lord according to His will, He will grant you and bless you. And remember that whatever God gives us, it's always for us to give Him the glory, but also for the good of one another. Not just for our own good. Now getting back to Daniel. The last chapter closed with the effect of the vision and its interpretation upon the prophet. In other words, that effect that he had from hearing and seeing these visions. He became sick, as I said, and famished and, and, and actually faint, we're told in the, the very last verse of the last chapter. So we're told there also that great astonishment filled his soul and that no one could understand it. No, no one could understand really any vision, whatever, whoever else might have been around or whoever else might have been told. But they also couldn't understand the very fact that Daniel, the one who could interpret Babylon, the uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar's dream, could not understand fully the dreams and the visions that he was given by God. 
So let me say, I'm, I'm saying this because this should dispel the idea which some people seem to have that prophets were simply in a passive state and the visions they had and the prophecies they received came to them, came to them in a very mechanical way. They just received it and then they wrote it down and they just forgot about it, right? But no. The prophecies that Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all the rest of the prophets received from the Lord all had to do with their people. It all had to do with the, the people and the children of Israel. And these were their people and they had a heart for them. They had a desire for their good. For their good, And they would have to reveal to these people what God gave them. And it hurt them to have to tell them that God had to deal with them and discipline them and chastise them and put them into captivity for a time because they were so disobedient. So we, we, we need to see that we cannot detach ourselves from the Word of God. If we are reading the Word of God as God's Word for us and for the church, then we need to realize that whenever it comes down to having to, having to tell people, you know, listen, get yourself right with the Lord because you know what? He's coming soon. And things, you know, our hearts go out to these people because you want them to be right before God on the day of the Lord's return. So the prophets were holy men of God and they, they were moved by the Holy Spirit as Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 when he says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit came upon these men and they were moved to, 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 you know, to, to say what they were given. Sometimes they understood, sometimes they didn't understand but they realized it was from God and, and that is enough to put the fear of the Lord in our hearts. And it is true that they did not completely understand their visions. A lot of times they would receive these visions and it would just, you know, knock them out silly, you know, because they just, well, what? I don't know what that means, but we got to tell the people. You know, God knows. It doesn't sound really good, but we have to tell them. So they had to search themselves, you see. They had to search themselves, and much was, this, was mysterious, and it was hidden to them. And, and yet, folks, listen, they still believed God, didn't they? They still believed Him. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, of which salvation uh, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, they prophesied these things, but notice, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us that did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which uh, things the angel desired to look into. So even the angels are wondering about the things that the Lord has, has given through prophetic vision to us. The prophets didn't always understand it, but they passed it on so they would come to us. See, so now we understand. We understand. And the revelation has been given to us. Remember that when we studied the book of Revelation, revelation means revealed. It's, it's revealed now. We can actually go back into the Old Testament and find mysteries uh, hidden in the Scriptures, but then when we look at them, God is saying they're revealed now because of the New Testament. Now they're revealed because of Jesus Christ. Now they're revealed. We can understand them better. See, so they lived in the time that they didn't understand everything. And yet they still believed, and that's the key. They still believed. Daniel showed how deeply moved he was after these visions. Notice again, verses 1 through 3. We read them earlier. 
In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. So, by the way, the, the understood by books, the books were the scrolls. That's the word for scrolls. So he had the scrolls of Jeremiah. And then it says that he would accomplish seven years, the Lord would accomplish seven years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What are the desolations of, the, of Jerusalem? The desolation, of course, is the emptiness, the emptying out of Jerusalem. Well, the people were taken out because of their sin. They were put into captivity. And the land became desolate for a reason. For a reason. And we'll talk about that as we go along. And so once again, Daniel gave us a time frame in which these events took place. It was while Gubaru, this is the name that, that is the, the real name of Darius or Darius or Darius. Uh, it's Gubaru was governor over Babylon. He was the one who came in after Belshazzar, placed there by Cyrus the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Remember, Cyrus being the Persian, the Persian horn of the ram, remember, was the bigger horn than that of uh, the Medes. And remember, it's always, everybody thinks of it as a Persian empire. So, I mean, so we'll, we realize Cyrus is the one that put uh, Gubaru to be the, the king, as it were, but really the governor over Babylon. Keep in mind, again, that Darius or Darius is most likely the title and not so much the person's name. The year was about 539 B.C., and the Babylonian Empire had just fallen to the Medo-Persian army. That means that Daniel and the Jewish people have been in captivity now for some 67 years. Now, remember, 67 years. And what was he dealing with when he was receiving these prophecies uh, from the books of, uh, of Jeremiah, the scrolls of Jeremiah? What would be accomplished in 70 years? They've been there 67 years. The first captivity occurred in 606 B.C. and the final assault in 586 B.C. And as we're going to see, Daniel recognized that the time of that captivity was about over. So these are some of the things that we need to understand about Daniel's prayer in the first 19 verses of this chapter. The first thing is, oh, I didn't read that, did I? And I set my face into the Lord to seek the prayer, supplications, fasting. Uh, and sackcloth and ashes. Okay, there you go. Daniel prompted to pray. Daniel now is prompted to pray. This is what the first three verses are telling us here. Daniel was prompted to pray. As he read the Word of God. Now you all read the Word of God. You don't have to raise your hands. I'm trusting that every day you open the Bible and you read the Word of God. I hope you do. I only, have to, I only heard about four amens there, but I just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just taking it for granted. You all read the Word of God. As he read the Word of God, in this case, the prophecies of Jeremiah, Daniel was prompted, which means he was encouraged, but he was also provoked. He was encouraged and provoked to pray. To pray. Daniel knew that effective prayer comes out of knowing both God's Word and present circumstances. Now, I tell you this, we live in, in very, very dangerous times. Paul told us we live in perilous times. You look at the news every day and you realize something else is happening. If it isn't an earthquake in Nepal, it's, it's, it's the riots in, in, in Baltimore, 
it's, it, it's another thing happening in the Middle East. It's a ship being, you know, supposedly, uh, uh, stopped by the Iranians, you know, in the U.S. ship, you know. I mean, little things, big things. I mean, every day something's happening. And then we, we tell you, as we come here to study the book of Daniel, listen, these things are happening because the Lord said they would be happening. We read the Word of God and then we look at our present circumstances. What does that cause us to do if it doesn't cause us to pray? Because I can tell you this, many of us can get really, really upset at things. And we can get mad. We want to throw some things right through the TV when we hear some people say the things that they say or the things that are happening today against the church and against Jesus and against the, the Word of God and all of that kind of stuff. We can, Listen, are you praying? You know, at some point you've got to put the flesh aside or at least put it in its place and say, okay, you know, all right, Lord, I'm upset, but you know what? It doesn't do me any good. It's not going to make me a half an inch greater or taller or, or, or it's not going to make me smarter. I, I, all of this anxiety is not going to do anything. I need to get on my knees and I need to pray. I need to pray for my country. I need to pray for my nation. I need to pray for, this, for the troops that are serving this country. I need to pray for our homeland. I need to pray for my church. I need to pray for the leaders of this country because they need to have their eyes open. You know, I mean, I need to pray. So we know both God's word and our present circumstances. It, circumstances, these things must prompt us to pray. His study of the word showed him a very specific number. What was the number? The number was 70. 70. Look at Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 25 because this was, these are the scrolls we're dealing with. These are the scrolls we're dealing with. Jeremiah 25 for us. In Daniel's day, they didn't have numbers and there. You know, they just, they had the scrolls. So, but he was, you know, the Lord brought him to the right scroll. And in, De- in Jeremiah 25, verse 11 uh, through 13, it says, And this whole land shall be a desolation. Now, what did we talk about? The seven years of desolations of Jerusalem, the very center of the land. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 Years, so there's the number. Then you look at the next verse, and it shall come to pass. What does that tell you? It shall come to pass. Something hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And you can be sure it's going to happen. You can, as they say, take it to the bank because it's going to happen. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord. For their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. We can talk about the cruelty later on of, of the Babylonians against God's people and the way that they attacked the city. Went way beyond what God would have had them do when they did take Israel into captivity and the southern kingdoms of Judah into captivity. And then verse 13, And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. And those of you who may have already been to Iraq or Afghanistan in that area, 
of the world. You know, it's interesting that even though there's still a civilization there, it's not what it used to be like. It's not what it used to be like. God's not done with what he's going to be doing either. So there's other prophetic things to look at. Another scroll, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after seven years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. In other words, after seven years, then they would be allowed to go back to their land in Israel. Now remember this, Jeremiah's words were written nearly 90 years earlier. 90 years earlier, before the people were taken into captivity. And you might ask, why 70 years of captivity? Well, I want you to turn then to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 36. In the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 36, verses 19 through 21. Second Chronicles 36, 19 through 21. Gives us the reason here. We're told they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem. This is, in other words, what Nebuchadnezzar did. They burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, which means a lot of people actually died by the sword. They were carried away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And notice why. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years, which is seventy years. The reason for their 70 years of captivity is because they failed to give the land its rest. Every seventh year, according to Leviticus chapter 25, every seven years, every seventh year, let's, let's make it real clear, they were not allowed to sow the field or prune the vineyard so that there would be a Sabbath's rest. Of the land. God said, Give that land a year's rest. There, there's that uh, principle of the Sabbath rest. Interestingly enough, and I, and I just want to bring this to, to, a, to a prophetic understanding, but, and we're not going to deal with it tonight, but interestingly enough, the Sabbath rest is also applied to end time prophecy in particular to the rapture of the church, but I'm, I won't get into that tonight. So, but I can hopefully whet your appetite because one of these days we're going to deal with that. But in any event, God wanted the land to rest for, for a year, the seventh year. Now, for some reason, the nation disobeyed this command for 490 years. And thus, they now owed the Lord 70 years. That's why it's 70 years. Because they, they didn't do what they were commanded to do over a period of 490 years, every seventh year would, would add up to 70. They owed the Lord 70 years. 
But that wasn't so much the reason they went into captivity. They went into captivity uh, those 70 years because that's what they owed the Lord. But they, the reason they went into captivity was because of their idolatry, because of their sinfulness, because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion toward God and His laws, and their refusal to turn back to the Lord. That's why they went into captivity. And the reason they went into captivity for 70 years is because they had disobeyed God in that particular sense of of not giving the land its rest. But that wasn't the only thing. See, they would have owed the Lord 70 years. It was because of their hard attitude. It was because of their sin. They refused to heed the warnings of the Lord, and so His judgment came upon them. I mean, let's face it, 490 years, God was extremely patient and long-suffering. And you have to ask yourself, when the Lord is extremely patient and long-suffering with you, when are you going to get the warning? That He may be giving you over something in your life. So, verse 3 of our text reveals the second aspect of prayer. Verse 3 of course, says he set his face unto the Lord God. And so this brings us to the second aspect of prayer. I'll read it in a minute. Daniel's preparation of prayer. This is Daniel's preparation of prayer. Verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel set his face towards God with determination. He set his faith toward, his face toward God. He was determined. We, whenever we set our face toward God, I, I mean, you know, where does that begin, do you think? To set your face before God, it has to begin in the heart, doesn't it? Because a lot of times, if we pray just automatically, because we have a time that we pray, and we just, you know, go do that uh, at a certain place, you know, sometimes you might have your coffee next to you, you know, or a Danish next to that. Easy chair, feet up. That doesn't necessarily mean we've set our face toward God. We might, but it doesn't mean that we did, you know. When you face a trial, and you know you have to pray, all of a sudden desperation leads to determination. And I truly believe that every day God wants us to have that kind of heart of determination. We don't need the desperation, even though it comes. But He wants us to have the determination to set our face toward God. So that that time really means something. The time you spend with God, let it mean something. But here you know what his situation is. We know why he's determined. We know why, why he's been prompted and why he's preparing to set his face toward God because he has been totally overwhelmed by this tremendous vision that God has given him. So now, as he sets his face toward God, so you'll understand what determination is, He's not going to let anything or anyone get in the way. That is setting your face toward God because nothing is going to get in the way between you and Him as you pray. 
The distractions of the world have to go out the window. The enemy, no matter what he tries to do, you cannot let him get in the way of your determined desire to get to the face of God with your prayer. And that not, is not only the only thing that he deals with in his preparation for prayer. He saw it so important to fast. Because it tells us fasting. Which means to get his mind and his body focused on the Lord. Notice I didn't say just his mind, but his mind and his body. Out goes the Danish. And it shows us that Daniel needed to hear from the Lord more than he needed the food. He needed to hear from the Lord more than he needed to eat. At that moment. At that time. And then the wearing of sackcloth and ashes, ashes put, you know, which were signs of mourning, by the way. He put on the reminder of why he's on his knees. For the very nation and people that were called by God's name. That have disobeyed God. And are, and at, our, and are at the very center of the, prof, of the prophecies that have been given. And so this rem, reminds us now of something else. The determination that removes the distractions and brings a denial of self and devotion to the Lord. A denial of self and devotion to the Lord. Determination, removal of distraction, denial of self, devotion to the Lord. Four things that we need in our prayer life. Not just in desperate times. We're already living in desperate times. We need it every day of our lives. Until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the preparation of prayer. Daniel's prayer. And then comes Daniel's preface to his prayer. Now he begins with a preface to his prayer. Verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God. And made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, which means the great and awesome God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. While this may seem to be a very simple point, it is nonetheless profound. Daniel remembers who he's talking to. Now, in prayer, do we sometimes forget who we're talking to? It's easy, isn't it? We can't forget who we're talking to when we pray. Let's, let's remember a few things. We're not talking to the man upstairs. We're not talking to our good old buddy. We're talking to the God who created the heavens and the earth. We're talking to the one true and living God who is above all His creation. We're talking about the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, 
all-present God. Just that alone should change our perspective about who we're talking to. He focuses on God's faithfulness. Listen, he's focusing on God's faithfulness to the covenant. Putting things into perspective, you see. That it was not God's failure that brought them into captivity, but their breaking of the covenant. I'm not asking this question because I want you to give me a show of hands, but I, I would almost have to think that most of us, if not all of us, at some point in time have blamed God for things. We can't blame God for that. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just uh, illogical and irrational for us to blame God. Because the very fact is, we know one thing. God doesn't make mistakes or else he's not, or, because if he does, he's not God. God has been faithful from the very beginning. He has not been unfaithful to any of us. And yet we could have a list a mile long of our unfaithfulness to him. Daniel focuses on God's faithfulness to the covenant, putting things into perspective, that it was not God's failure that brought them into captivity, but their breaking of the covenant, which placed them into the hands of the Babylonians. And so he seeks God's mercies to restore what they had broken. This is intercession. He seeks God's mercies to restore what they, as a people, had broken, which leads now to Daniel's penitent prayer. Daniel's penitent prayer, or prayer of penance, as it were. And you've got to be even more clear, a prayer of repentance. The prayer of repentance. And because this is the longest section of our time tonight, I'm just going to read most of it. It's it's very self-explanatory. We don't have to go into great detail of it. Uh, so as we read it, just you know, we'll comment along the way, and there's a few things that we want to say about these verses. Here's the prayer: We have sinned. Now, if you if you mark in your Bibles, and I did this, I've done it in most of my Bibles when I go through this particular chapter, I always underline the words "we" or "us" or "our." Because Daniel is speaking on behalf of the people. And I want you to notice he doesn't say you or them. I should say uh, them or they or, you know, he, he says we, us, our. There are a couple of times when he does say they, but I'll, I'll explain why he says that there. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Very quickly, let me just encourage you to understand what Daniel is saying, because we have looked at his life here, and we haven't seen a lot, we haven't seen very much sin in his life, if we've seen any at all. I honestly haven't seen any sin of Daniel's. I mean, we know he's human, and we know that he was a sinner, but, you know, we don't see that lived out. We, all we see is a man who is faithful to God. We see a man who is, who is, who is a, 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 above reproach, blameless, from the time he was a young man going into captivity. And yet he knows that he's a sinner. And he's a part of this community of people that were called to be God's people, chosen people, the children of Israel. 
And he says, We have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled. Even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, he does not separate himself from his people. Secondly, in verse 6, he says, Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets. We haven't listened to your servants which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. In other words, he covered all the bases. God has spoken to all the people from the top to the bottom, from the bottom to the top. And we didn't listen to the prophets. Now, get this, this is a very long verse. I have two slides for it, but there's a few things said here. O Lord, righteousness belongs unto Thee. The acknowledgement that God is a righteous God. O Lord, righteousness belongs unto Thee, but unto us confusion of faces. What belongs to God is righteousness. What belongs to us is open shame on our faces. As at this day, to the men of Judah, and notice this, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel, and he includes himself as as one of the men of Judah, that are near and that are far off throughout or through all the countries whither thou hast driven them. So the, the word them there is not saying that now he's using that pronoun. No, the pronoun refers back to the man that he's talking about, which includes himself. Okay? Because of their trespass, again, he's included in that because he's one of the men of Israel, of Israel and Judah. Because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. So this is just a very grammatically correct way that he's putting this. And then in verse 8 it says, O Lord, to us. Again, it's us. It's not anyone else but us. To us belongeth confusion of face, which is what again? Open shame on their faces. Shamefulness on their faces. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. You see, this is where he begins to plead for God's mercy for his people. This is the intercession. Lord, to, to the Lord our God belong. I mean, you are the one that is merciful. You are the one that has forgivenesses. And notice, not just one forgiveness, but many forgivenesses. It's plural. Though we have rebelled against Him. Though we have rebelled against Him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. So again, I want to, I want to just kind of review what we just said. As Daniel confesses Israel's sins, he never says they but we. When he does use they and there, he uses them in verses 7 and 11, but only as identifiers. He's identifying the, the people that he's just mentioned, which were the men of, of Judah and others. This is not a phony confession on Daniel's part, as some may think. Because again, we don't ever really see that Daniel has ever been a part of Israel, other than the fact that you know he was made, he was made a servant of Nebuchadnezzar and eventually the king's because of the gifts that God had given him. But that was God's work in his life uh, for the sake of Israel. 
And so it's not a phony confession, but a true expression of a person, a person passionately and completely focused on his God. He is a person that is passionately and completely focused on his God. For, for compared to God, and here, here's the thing about Daniel, compared to God, even the most righteous person among us falls short. Compared to God, even the most righteous person is filthy before God. And this passage clearly reveals the tragic story of what can happen to a nation that was chosen by God and then turns its back on Him. You see, God's covenant with the nation of Israel was not only based on God's faithfulness to act, but on Israel's obedience to God's law. I want you to consider an exchange that we find in Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8. So let's go back to the second book of the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, Exodus chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. This is an exchange that takes place there. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said... Now, when you, when you get there, you can see the whole context of what's going on here as far as with Moses and all. The people heard the, the words of the covenant and they said, notice what they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. So what did the people just say? We're going to do this law. We're going to do it. We're going to be obedient. Let your yes be a yes, let your no be a no. You understand what I'm saying there, right? They have just stated what they are committed to doing in the covenant with God. You read then in verse 8, And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on, it, and it, on the people because that was, that was the seal of the covenant here. In the sense that, you know, there's the seal, okay. Oh, and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So now this is sealed. Now you've got to be obedient. You can't stand there saying, Oh, yes, all this we will do and have your fingers crossed. Right? Is that what people do when they, they want to tell, you know, they want to say something, but they, they really don't mean they're going to keep it, right? Can you imagine, you know... Two and a half million people doing that? Look, Lord. Doesn't work that way. They were sealed. The nation agreed to the laws of God. This is what happened. The nation agreed to the laws of God and the regulations of the covenant. Thus, Moses seals the covenant with blood which bound them to it. The problem was they did break the covenant that they promised to keep. And that is what we see Daniel confessing before God, repenting before the Lord their unfaithfulness, that they were doing wickedly before the Lord and living a godless lifestyle. They rebelled against God. They turned away from God's commands and all his laws. They ignored God's word, in other words. And the prophets, they ignored the prophets that God had sent them to warn them of all of their evil ways. You've got to change your evil ways. Yeah, I know. I just want to make sure you guys are still here with me. Some of you, some of you kind of, oh, I know what he was... 
He sent the prophets to warn them, and they didn't listen. In fact, we're told later on that many of the prophets were killed for preaching them what God had said they needed to do. They had sinned against God. They missed the mark and wandered away from the ways of God. And because of that, they have been scattered and brought into captivity. That is the result of that kind of attitude, that kind of living before a holy and righteous God, because judgment came upon them, and God is no different today. Folks, we, have, we need to remember God doesn't change. You know, We have a bunch of people today who want to change God's laws. And they impose it on everybody. They've imposed it on society. All kinds of things. Things that are even called abominations in the Word of God. They've imposed upon us. And upon this nation. Upon many nations. And many peoples. But God doesn't change. And His laws don't change. Is God merciful? Yes. Every sinner who repents of his sins and turns away from his sins and calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believes that Jesus Christ died and shed his blood and rose again from the dead is welcomed into the kingdom of God, but welcomed in as a new creature in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Please don't forget that it is the enemy that will tell you that you are no good and that God doesn't love you anymore. And I'm speaking to those of us, some, some of us that may have this weight of guilt upon our lives because of, our li- because of the life that we've lived or the things that we've done, even as believers. The enemy is telling you, you know, how can you be saved? How can you be right with God? And yet, God does love us. And He wants us to return to Him. He goes after us, by the way. His Holy Spirit comes after us. You know what, what it's called? It's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of the main reasons why we have that sense of, 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 uh, of guilt is because the Holy Spirit's not letting us go. But the only thing is, guilt can lead us in one direction or another. We could either go and bury ourselves in the guilt or we can take the guilt back to the Lord and the Lord is going to lift it and say, I've already died for it. It's already taken care of. Just want you to remember that. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appealed, or I'm sorry, appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, everlasting love means what? Everlasting love. In spite of some of the mistakes that we make, and you know the fact is we don't want to make mistakes, and we shouldn't want to make mistakes, but if we do make mistakes, we know one thing, our God is merciful, and He's gracious. And I wish I had more time to talk about this in this particular context, because there's a lot of stuff that we can see, even in the Old Testament, that talks about the Lord saying, just return to me, return to me, and live. 
1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's all we need to do. God wants us clean before Him. And He'll be there to help us get to that point. Well, lastly, we've got to take the last eight verses here. So let's, let's do that very quickly. Or nine verses, actually. Verse 11. They're very long verses. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. That goes again back to that covenant that was made and the blood that sealed it. And he has confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven has not been done as has been done upon Jerusalem. God said, that's my city. You know, he talks about his own city that way, Zion. That's his city. And yet because of what they have done, he has had to impose this particular kind of judgment upon his very heart, the place where he wants to meet his people and will meet, by the way, his people for a thousand years in, in, the, in the reign of Jesus Christ in, in, at his second coming, the thousand-year reign of Jesus. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. And so Daniel now really just confesses the truth and that, is that you know, we, we know that we've done wrong, but we haven't prayed. We haven't sought the face of the Lord. We haven't set the Lord before our faces to say, to, you know, to cry out to Him, Lord, I've done wrong. And here as a people, we have done wrong. We have sinned against you. And to understand His truth is just to say, Lord, what, are you, what is your truth? We want to do it, but we need your spirit. We need your help. It was always available, by the way. It wasn't hidden from the people. Therefore has the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. That's a very interesting thing, that the Lord watched upon the evil. Because even though he brought discipline, disciplinary action, chastisement upon his people, don't forget that because Babylon went way beyond what they were supposed to do, God judged Babylon. So he watches the evil that he allows. And so he has the handle over all of this. And because he's righteous, he'll bring judgment where judgment is necessary. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renowned, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. And so he, he, he calls out to the God who, who rescued them and, and brought them out of their bondage in Egypt. But then he says, but we've blown it. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach, an insult, in other words, to all that are about us. 
Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. By the way, supplications is another kind of prayer. Supplications is praying for for things that are needed, necessary. The word supply actually is the root for the word supplication. So, you know, what is, you know, we pray for those things that we need from God to, to live righteously and godly. So he says, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. In other words, come again and bring life to your temple and your sanctuary. Oh my God, Incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. I mean, that's pretty clear. We're not here, you know, just wanting what we need for our benefit. We're doing it for your mercies. We're just... if, if anything, all we are asking for are your mercies, that you would be merciful to your people. Oh Lord, hear, and, and I love this part of the verse here, or the, of the prayer, I should say. Oh Lord, hear, stop. Oh Lord, hear. Open your ears to this prayer. Oh Lord, Forgive. Stop. Hear. Act. Forgive. O Lord, hearken, hear us, and do your mercies. Defer not. Which means, don't delay, Lord. Don't delay, don't wait. For thine own sake, O oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. I believe this is one of the greatest prayers in the scripture. And I can say this Daniel was not great because he prayed. He was great because his prayer was the necessary expression of great trust and dependence upon God. Many religious people spend countless hours in prayer, but it achieves nothing because it is not rooted in the goodness and mercy and righteousness of our God. Self-righteous or self-trusting prayer is of no power before God. Ours is to trust. And that is us who are, we who are believers in Jesus Christ. Ours is to trust in the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not just for ourselves, but for one another, for the church, and for the people of Israel and the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Mount Zion, the city of our great King. I want to close with, with uh, very quickly here with Jeremiah. Go back, if you will, to Jeremiah. 
in chapter 29. Now we read earlier verse 10, didn't we? Verse 10 that says, For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work, word toward you in causing you to return to this place. But I, I don't have it up here, so you have to look at it in your Bibles. But verses 11 down through verse 14. Verse 11 has, has been a kind of a life verse for me, and I know for many others. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a, an expected end or, or to give you a future and a hope. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. In other words, I will hear you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search, when you shall search for me with all your heart. You see that? That's this prayer that was prayed with all of Daniel's heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. And do you know that the Lord has done that? And because we are near the end, the Lord is doing that. Israel is once again populated with His people speaking His language, a language that was lost for 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years. And it's being spoken again. That's a miracle. That's the hand of God. That's the heart of God for His people and for us. And so now we've got the prayer taken care of. I hope it's encouraged you to pray in a new way. Now we get into the nitty-gritty of the prophecy next time. Unless you want to stay till 12. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to do that. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the lesson of prayer that you have given us in the life of Daniel, who loved you first and foremost, and he loved his people, your people. I pray that we will have the heart of Daniel to love you first and foremost and to love your people, the church, and to love one another with the love of Christ. Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts never to miss a blessing that you want to give us. Lord, you've called us to assemble regularly, and we should. You've called us to love one another and to serve one another and to, to give where, where, where there is need and, and these things we should do. But you have called us before your fairy throne of grace each and every day. Oh God, that we not miss the blessing of being before you, setting our faces before you, determined, Lord God, to hear your voice, determined to hear your 
perfect will for our life for each and every day that we live. I pray, Father, that you will overwhelm us with your presence, overwhelm us with your love, overwhelm us, Lord God, with your blessings and with your wisdom so that every day that we live, we live, Lord God, differently than we've ever lived before, trusting you, Lord, more than we've ever trusted you, living for you more than we've ever lived for you, and serving you more than we've ever served you. Lord, these, these are not just happy thoughts or good thoughts. These are, these are things that you've commanded us, Lord, to do, but to do it with a heart that desires to do it, not just has to do it. But we want to do it because you're worthy of our praise and worthy of our service and you're worthy of our worship and you're worthy of our love. So, Father, let your Spirit come upon us and change us, Lord, where we need to be changed tonight. Stir our hearts, Lord God, like you've never stirred our hearts before. Use us, Lord, like you've never used us before. Like you want to use us because we just, have, we just need to make ourselves available to be used by you. And, Lord, just fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.